Welcome to the FinTech One-on-One Podcast, episode number 316. This is your host, Peter Renton, chairman and co-founder of Lendit FinTech. Today on the show, I'm delighted to welcome Sri Santhanam. He is the EVP and GM of Global Analytics and AI Products at Experian. Obviously, he is an AI expert, and I wanted to get Sri on because we haven't really delved deeply into AI in a long time, and a lot has changed, which we get into in some depth in this episode. You know, we talk about what lenders are doing today, what they need to do to be successful, how they're using AI. We delve pretty deeply into um, how Experian is really helping some of the things they're doing that is really unique in the field. We talk about how lenders should be using AI and uh, what are the trends that Sri is seeing uh, both you know, historically and, and going forward. And he also looks into his crystal ball and provides uh, predictions for five years from now. It was a fascinating interview. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Sri. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Peter. My pleasure. So uh, let's get started by giving the listeners a little bit of background about yourself. Can you give us some of the, the career highlights um, before you got to Experian? I spent a significant portion of my career at Oliver Wyman which is a strategy and operations consulting firm in financial services space. And I started my career with Oliver Wyman right out of school. I was actually getting a PhD at Stanford, which I didn't end up finishing. But what really attracted me to consulting was bringing an engineering approach to business problems. And that's been the theme of my time at Oliver Wyman. For the last seven or eight years at Oliver Wyman, I helped build a business called Oliver Wyman Labs, where we saw the opportunity in about 2011-12 to bring Silicon Valley style tech and AI into some of the challenges large banks and financial institutions face post-crisis. And that was a fun journey, bringing Python, big data, Hadoop, AI tech into that sort of space. And spent a bunch of time there. And then about two years ago, the senior leadership at Experian asked me to come over to play a role leading global analytics and AI, helping drive impact with Experian's data in a similar way. So here I am. Okay. So so before we get into the meat of the discussion, I'd love to kind of get a little bit of background about your experience with AI and analytics um, and how that journey has gone for you throughout your career. For me, even before it was called all of the fancy names that it is now with AI and ML, I've always been attracted to pure sort of data-driven decision-making. And what attracted me to consulting as well was a group called Retail Value Engineering. And the founder of that group was a man named Jacques Cesar, who would often describe the work we do as is squeezing blood from the stone that is sort of data, right? And (laughs) actually, the initial work we did was with retailers. And in the early 2000s, they had enormous amount of data, largely captive in these huge monolithic systems. And I was very attracted to the prospect of putting that data to work and helping their businesses run better, helping improve the lives of consumers and businesses. That eventually, over the course of 
the first decade of this century translated into advanced analytics, AI and tech being tools in, in making that sort of mission a reality. Like one of the interesting things we did in retail was, for instance, cannibalization analysis. Uh, retailer, as they traditionally think about, let's say you're promoting an item of toothpaste, you largely look at the sales of toothpaste, but it has an enormous amount of impact on other items in that week, bringing customers into that store. And the impact of a simple thing like promoting Colgate toothpaste is actually profound. And AI and analytics can help you understand that and make better sort of choices. So that was my sort of starting point. I think it eventually grew into my interest in driving financial services post-crisis and helping banks lend better. Now, historically, banks and lending institutions have mostly used rules or basic logistic regression models to make decisions. But for me, bringing AI and ML to really drive financial inclusion, help uh, consumers have better access to credit and sort of lenders make better decisions is an important part of the mission I see. Okay, well, let's get right into it and talk about the lending space. You know, it's been a very interesting last 18 months for all lenders, I would say. And obviously, we've seen the move to digital that uh, I think became mandatory pretty much for the, the entire world. But I'd love to get sort of what you're seeing in Experian as far as how this transformation is playing out. What are you seeing as far as, you know, the democratization of, of digital capabilities and that sort of thing? It's a great time to be talking about the lending revolution. And even before COVID, I would argue that there was a very significant lending revolution underway where if you looked historically at how lending happened, it was with sort of pen and paper. And over the last sort of decade and a half, really the notion of digital tools, digital decisioning, analytics, and digital underwriting has come into play. Now, COVID has dramatically accelerated that, and we're seeing three big things which are different. First, when you looked at maybe even three, four years ago, you had the capital one, some of the large, sophisticated sort of banks really being at the forefront of leading this revolution and bringing either machine learning or digital tools to the entire lending process. Now, it's almost becoming a necessity for the entire spectrum of lenders, large, medium, and small, to operate digitally and make some of those decisions. The second thing we're seeing with the lending revolution drive is actually this deep focus on the customer experience. It was okay five, six years ago to wait several days, weeks to approve loans or make decisions on loans for consumers and businesses now. That expectation has dramatically changed. We're seeing lending institutions wanting to make that decision in real time and in sort of minutes, hours, that's sort of the dimension. And third, fundamentally sort of product innovation and inclusion. You're seeing the whole fintech space come in and really the operating challenge and the question with fintechs is, can I find an underserved niche of the market which... I have unique perspective in how to think about their risk and I can include them and lend to them. Is it student loans? Is it sort of immigrants who've been in this sort of country where our traditional sort of credit and lending sort of methods don't view them in the same way? So there's a significant 
shift in how lenders are starting to look at the space. And you're seeing those three trends are what we're seeing with Experian. Right. And I'd love to get your take too on, because I know you work with both banks and fintech lenders. And I, I think it's a curious time for fintech lenders because they've had sort of the digital space wide open for them for, you know, I mean, some of them for longer than a decade. And now that gap is closing. But what do you think fintech lenders need today to be successful in the environment we're in? Fintech lenders, as I see it, are actually disrupting the market in a way which net of net really benefits the consumer. Because if I look at the core thesis of a fintech in these lending spaces, they're coming in and saying, can I pick a segment of the market where I apply an underwriting sort of lens and I apply a customer experience lens, which is very, very sort of different, right? And you're seeing a, a number of these fintechs like, like a firm, prosperous, sort of start to be very successful in that space. So I think in order for them to be successful, they need three big things. First is they need to embrace machine learning and advanced sort of underwriting because the core of their business model involves in being at the forefront of underwriting with a lens that's slightly sort of different. So I think embracing machine learning, understanding how that works and that can improve financial inclusion is a key part. I think the second thing that fintechs need to be able to succeed is really disrupt and reinvent the customer experience and decisioning around that. Lots of it is sort of digital, but essentially interesting product innovation where you can get into either a retail customer journey or much closer to the purchase occasion or the use case of sort of customers in a way that traditional lending still has friction. Interesting. So then can we just dig into the AI and analytics just uh, for a bit here? And what are you seeing as far as lenders, you know, how are they best driving impact from AI? If you look at how, let's say, the, the bulk of the middle market has lent even four or five years ago, it's been on the back of two simple things. It's been a set of policy rules and it's been some sort of underwriting sort of model. That's how uh, a lot of the lending frameworks have actually sort of worked. Uh, and in the main, the long tail of lenders have mostly used either standard scores, uh, which are sort of available off the shelf, or uh, if they were, if they created sort of specific custom models, they were mostly sort of logistic regressions. That was sort of how historically sort of worked. Uh, now, it's been a challenge to change any of those things because the cost uh, and the infrastructure required to stand up machine learning models, put them into production, have sort of decisioning rules and optimization, which are more sophisticated, have been sort of prohibited, prohibitive. But that reality is fundamentally changing now. So uh, custom scores, the ability to create sort of uh, optimized decision rules, and the ability to do this in a tailored way on uh, data sets which are actually relevant for you as a lender that reality is changing and the costs of are, are dropping even as we sort of speak to do that. So uh, that, that whole sort of adoption of uh, modern sort of lending, positioning structure is, is a big part of what uh, AI and analytics sort of plays. And if you look at 
models which were logistic regressions. Now there are gradient boosted tree models which can start to help outperform those. You have decisioning rules which start to help like significantly uh, uh, outperform and, and really get better approvals and lower sort of charge offs for lenders. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about what Experian is doing specifically in the space. Maybe you can start with you know just talking about how how is Experian helping you know, helping lenders with uh, you know, with their client journeys and that sort of thing today. Sure. Uh, if when I came in uh, two years ago, uh, one of the areas we saw as a big opportunity was to help clients with some of the analytics and AI which they use, particularly in the mid-market uh, for building these uh, models. So there's credit unions, there's mid-market customers, where historically what we've done is we've built custom models and projects for them. Uh, what we found was uh, the typical time it took to build these custom models was somewhere between five, six months, and the deployment of these models, again, was sort of complex and took another few months. So uh, for many of our customers in this space, uh, we found that uh, there was a clear need, but the time and the ability to deliver these things, there was a lot of overhead which was involved. So one of the things we've done is we've built a platform to significantly disrupt the space, a platform called Ascend intelligent services, which we believe significantly reduces the time to both build models, create decision rules, and really put this into production. So the whole build, uh, model, and produce, uh, we're, we're still in early stages with these products, but we have uh, several tens of uh, successful uh, customers where we've significantly reduced the time for end-to-end build and the cost where we can put these things into sort of production. Uh, uh, one example is a public case study we have of a mid-market lender named uh, Atlas, where we've seen very, very significant positive results with uh, this sort of work with our platforms. Interesting, interesting. So can you, I mean, can you dig a little deeper into that? I mean, I'd love to get sort of the sense without giving away your the secret source, but how how are you able to make this a much faster process? Uh, yeah, great. No, ha- happy to talk about that. So if you look at the historical process, there have been probably four main points of friction, uh, which have had a lot of time. Uh, the first has been around data management and wrangling, uh, where we've had to bring a lot of data uh, and manipulate it to create models. Uh, the second point of friction has been actually running like compute at scale. To typically build a custom model, you need to actually like try 30, 40 different sort of models, run sort of many calculations, and then sort of decide. Uh, the third has been uh, regulatory compliance and documentation. These models, the reason it's challenging in financial services is like you have a whole regulatory framework and you have to go against that, manage it. And then finally, like deployment. Once you've built a model, the traditional approach is to say, great, I've built this, now I document it. Now I'm going to take it and throw it over the fence and have someone sort of code it. 
So we've gone after these four problems in a very significant sort of way. We have some strategic advantages in how we can help our clients because we're building this on our platforms and data. So I'll take each of these in turn. So first, we have a lot of the data for several of our clients. So it allows us to proactively source that data, curate it, and significantly reduce the time in creating the right sort of training data set. So if I'm a fintech looking to innovate on a new product, like at Experian, we can very quickly create a proxy data set. And historically, that has been a manual process. Now we've added automation. Uh, the second piece is an interesting one, which is on the models. Uh, in the last year and a half, two years, we've built uh, technology, which is akin to the technology that Google, Facebook, some of the leading tech companies run, which really allows us to spin cloud-based compute and run sort of like tens and hundreds of models. Uh, at a recent client, one of our data scientists was saying uh, in one day, he tried probably like 80 different sort of models and reviewed their results. An exercise which would normally take a data scientist several weeks of work because even though you've open source libraries, the, the, the tedium of uh, creating a model, looking at its results, managing it, managing all of the engineering is complex. So then what we've done is we've abstracted away all of the engineering to allow for the data scientists to really do their job of figuring out what, 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 what is it that will sort of work. And the third on documentation and dashboards, we've got products which provide a lot of the standard regulatory documentation sort of framework and a lot of automation around this. So it doesn't put a restriction on how many times you try and what you do, the standard documentation is populated. And finally, uh, seamless deployment, which has been like the holy grail of all of sort of machine learning and ML ops. Uh, what we've built is a mechanism to seamlessly deploy models into production, which allows the whole, for the whole what's known as the MLOps cycle. So they can be monitored live, they can be retrained, they can be managed. So those are four of the big things we've worked on with some of the technology people investments we have. And our, our main theme has been productizing the entire thing. So we've productized it to make it available to our customers. Right. So I just want to, <clears throat> I want to dig in a little bit on the third point, the regulatory piece, because it's something that I've always been curious about. I mean, how much of these AI models do you have to sort of, I don't know, throttle back or, or adapt because there needs to be, uh, you know, need to, you need to be in compliance with all of the FCRA and uh, and other things that need to be explainability, you've got to be able to explain a credit decision. Um what is the impact? Like I'm looking, you say you're talking about data sets from Google and Facebook where they're going to have very different regulatory requirements. In some ways, they don't necessarily need to, to, to scale back or, or to change to explain things like you have to do in financial services. So how is, uh, what is the impact of having, to, having sort of that type of regulatory framework on the models themselves? Yeah, it's a, it's great, a great question, question. because the, it has implications for models that will ultimately be uh, permitted to be put into production and the process by which you sort of build it as well, right? And uh, if, you look at, if you look at an unconstrained world in which you didn't have a regulatory framework, what you would do is 
you would take the most sophisticated framework you had and you have uh, and the best data you have and you would throw models and you would have like uh, uh, machines maybe explore that sort of state space, right? So great, I have a gradient booster tree. The problem is uh, you then run into specific real constraints like there are the certain attributes which you use have to be explainable. There have to be monotonicity constraints around certain attributes. Uh, and uh, further, uh, uh, the topic of bias and fairness is also becoming an important one. Mm-hmm. So, by, if I exaggerate for effect, that the traditional process of how a data scientist goes after this is, he says, "Well, I'm he or she says, I'm I'm going to apply these constraints, build a first model, see if it works, and then see if I can play with a bunch of these things, and then apply the constraints again." And it's often a real trade-off between like performance and sort of the regulatory framework and what you have to manage. Now, what we've done with the product is actually with allowed many of those constraints to be baked into how the data is curated, as well as how the model itself is allowed to go and search for solutions. So it makes the job of a data scientist a lot easier saying, okay, you're allowed to use these attributes. These attributes can only be used in certain ways. And then it lets the machine go and say, go explore this sort of state space. And that's a really important step for a data scientist because otherwise it creates a lot of tedious work where you're almost playing like this like game of catch and mouse saying, great, I've got better performance, but have I violated my regulatory constraints? So uh, there is a trade-off. And I think in this space, we'll continue to see more of that sort of trade-off as our regulations evolve to manage sort of ML and AI. But we also believe that the product and the tech can evolve to to address this. Right, right. Yeah, that makes sense. So then, what you know? Obviously, we live in a competitive world, and Experian has has competitors as well. I mean, what are you doing that's different? How are you differentiating yourself from others in the space? Uh, I think for us, we believe there's a very significant opportunity in the mid market and democratizing many of these. Uh, capabilities, which have historically been limited to maybe sort of large banks or banks where or lending institutions where they can afford this infrastructure. So we're differentiating ourselves in three ways. Uh, First is we're providing an end-to-end experience across data, analytics, and decisioning. Uh, Experian has uh, as you know, some of the most valuable data sets on lending on the uh, on the planet. It has. We also have a decisioning business, which is uh, around providing workflow and software uh, in into sort of customers to allow them to make sort of lending decisions, policy rules, and we bring sort of analytics. So uh, one big differentiator we have is we have the ability to really provide and. And if I might draw a retail analogy, we have the ability to provide the Shopify equivalent to the uh, mid-market where we say, hey, like if you're a lender, you focus on what you do, you know best, which is actually figuring out the right lending niche, figuring out the customers and your targets. And we can provide that sort of end-to-end analytics data and sort of tech. That's a key differentiator for us. I think the second differentiator for us is we're making a uh, a specific move to uh, increase access to 
some of these sort of tools in how we price and uh, what we're doing, like really democratization. So we're leaning forward and uh, growing our base. And then the third differentiator we have is uh, we've got a very, very significant penetration of data with a number of lending institutions. Uh, uh, overnight, like uh, the vast majority of lending institutions in uh, North America in some form, utilize experience sort of data. And what we want to do is uh, bring a set of accessible products around analytics and AI to all of them. Right now, our penetration rate on that is in the low, low single digits. So we believe there's a huge opportunity ahead of us to, if we successfully democratize this, to bring it into, into those uh, the, the long tail of lenders. Okay, interesting, interesting. So then if you were... Um you talk, talking to um, your clients. I mean, what, what when you say what, what would what would be looking at all the different things that AI can do? But what is the most important thing that that businesses should be using AI for today? Uh, I think the uh, I'll maybe uh, answer sort of two parts that question. The first is like how should they be using AI and what should they be using it for? Uh, in terms of the biggest way to get impact, I think uh, companies should be taking a more holistic view of AI to get sort of impact. Historically, uh, there's been a lot of infatuation with uh, one part of AI, which is largely sort of AI performance. But when you look at generating impact from AI more holistically, we think there are four components. There's uh, uh, not just AI performance, which is, hey, I've built a better model, but AI adoption, uh, AI scalability, and sort of AI trust. So really to get impact from AI, uh, it isn't sufficient just to have uh, AI performance, which is a data, saying, a data scientist saying, I've got sort of a great proof of concept. You've got to think about, uh, can that be embedded in the workflow to allow clients or the company to make better decisions? Uh, is it on a sustainable and scalable platform? And ultimately, is, uh, is it trusted by customers? Now, that's, that's fundamentally what we think uh, is uh, uh, need for AI impact. I think for lenders, in my mind, I think the, the obvious in some ways, the biggest opportunity is uh, financial inclusion. Uh, if I look at uh, uh, my personal story when I when I was sort of gr growing up in sort of India, I remember uh, my mother, who was sort of an entrepreneur, like had uh, a number of ideas and things where she could have used capital to invest, but she really didn't have as much access to uh, uh, to lending. Uh, but if I look at at the core of it, like the uh, the lending credibility or the likelihood of uh, default for someone like her and what she would have done with that sort of capital. I believe it's sort of enormous. And, and I believe that's, that's true with uh, a number of <clears throat> segments of the population across sort of North America where uh, with the right lens, with the right sort of frameworks, I believe it can be a win-win for lending and for of customers. So I believe there's a lot of potential in using AI and analytics for financial inclusion. Right, right. Yep, for sure. So um, I want to ask about something that 
Uh, you know, Dave Girard, the CEO of Upstart, obviously a pretty a pioneer in the AI um, space in in lending. He um, he said that all lending will be done via AI in the future, and it seems to me just from when I talk to lenders, it feels like the the it's not like people. There's very few lenders of any type that are just saying. Forget I, we're not interested in exploring this. It feels like that conversation has changed in the last couple of years, but I'd love to get yes, it from yes. your perspective. Like, do you, will all lending be done via AI and, and what's it going to take to get there? Yeah, I, I agree with David. And I, I do think that's, that future is almost inevitable. I think the biggest challenge, uh, uh, which I believe we will sort of manage and overcome is, uh, trust, uh, and under sort of trust, there is explainability, there's bias and fairness, and really, uh, 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 and the regulatory framework. And I think the the narrow reason why you don't have a bunch of folks having adopted sort of AI, you'll hear is often, well, there's regulation and there's structure. But if I look at the spirit of it sort of more broadly, really the overarching theme is trust, right? I think the regulators as well are, uh, they're sharp, reasonable people making sort of creating regulatory frameworks. And, and they're actually, having talked to a number of regulators, they're, 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 they're quite thoughtful about this. I think the broader question is around sort of trust and creating the right frameworks to ensure that uh, lending with AI is fair, transparent, and trusted above all. But I do believe we will uh, we will uh, we will get that get to that sort of journey in the same way. Uh, at, at some point, I believe it's also inevitable that the majority of cars on the road are going to be sort of driverless. Right. Right. Yes. Yes. We're not. We're not quite there yet. Um, <laughs> so, and that, I got. I would. I would argue that the AI for driving a car is much more complex than it is for deciding whether really? a consumer consumer should get a loan or not. It seems. Uh, seems to me. Um, anyway, let's. Uh, we got. We're almost out of time, but a couple more questions. Um, I want to talk about the trends that you're seeing and predictions for the future? I mean, what are, what are some of the trends that you're seeing today in AI analytics that uh, that you know that teams really should be on the lookout for? So I think uh, one uh, interesting trend which you're hearing some of the experts in the space talk about is uh, the shift. Uh, shift to what uh, Andrew Ang, one of the leading thinkers in the space, calls data-centric AI. Uh, and at the core of it, the concept's like very simple. And if you look at uh, historically the big giggle around AI, it was, hey, like, can I create a neural network or a gradient booster tree? And can I take the same data? And can I like get better results and better outcomes? Now the dialogue is slightly shifting into uh, uh, another very significant point of leverage, which is data-centric AI, which is actually saying, can I get and create the right sort of training data to really uh, make sort of better decisions? And, and that's opening up an interesting question on uh, like tapping into more sort of data sources, uh, managing the data, and can you really get sort of better performance? And there's a lot of work being done in the AI space on data-centric AI on how to prepare data, manage data, extract data from sources which uh, previously were sort of dismissed. 
Uh, so that's sort of one big trend we're seeing, which I think uh, has uh, important implications for uh, the the space we're in in financial institutions as well, because historically the uh, the 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 data that can and cannot be that can be used in sort of lending has been uh, uh, has been sort of carefully demarcated. Uh, I think there'll be more thought in the future on how to sort of expand that and what what else we're willing to allow to consider into that. So I think that's one big trend. I think the other big trend is almost sort of an uh, obvious one, uh, uh, but uh, which is moved to the cloud. But actually, I see it under a broader theme where AI is actually moving to much more of an engineering discipline and a technology discipline. Historically, data science and AI was uh, was set of things data scientists did, uh, and it didn't quite have the uh, the the systems, the process, the rigor which software engineering sort of has. But now you're actually starting to see all of that rigor come in, and particularly with uh, migration to the cloud, you're having sort of ten data scientists who could work on the same sort of model, like these ensembles of sort of models and structure. Those those problems are starting to become real, and unless you have an engineering discipline act into software to be able to manage that, you get into a whole bunch of complexity of issues where data scientist one creates a model and when data scientist two tries to go and look at that, like he's not quite sure what was sort of built on and when you're putting it into production, is it lost? So the whole engineering discipline around sort of data science and AI is also a big trend, which we're seeing. Interesting. I hadn't heard that. That makes complete sense to me. Okay. So then some last question. Um, yeah, I'd love to sort of as you're looking out, let's say five years from now, um, you know, how will how will Experian be using you know, AI and advanced ad- analytics in, say, September of 2026? We have started on a journey where we have brought a modern product tie stack to a small set of clients. What I would hope is that we have successfully, like, are in sort of full scale on that democratization bit. And uh, we've got uh, the a very, very significant portion of our data clients where we've actually opened up access to uh, uh, analytics and AI and uh, many of these sort of advanced techniques and models uh, and sort of brought, brought it to sort of, uh, sort of hundreds, if not thousands of sort of clients. That's what I would sort of hope. Uh, the second thing I would hope at Experian is that uh, we are powering Experian with analytics and AI sort of much more like like across the business in a very, very significant way. We're starting to make sort of forays into that Experian uh, uh, beyond our consumer business and our decision analytics business. We also have uh, businesses in the health space and the BIS space, and we're starting to... Uh, use AI and analytics in those spaces. So I would, I would hope that AI and analytics fundamentally becomes core to experience sort of DNA and starts to power like a number of our products and businesses across. Okay. Well, we'll have to leave it there, Shri. It's going to be fascinating to see it all unfold. I really appreciate you coming on the show today. Thank you very much, Peter. Thank you for having me. Of course. Okay. See ya. All right.
You know, I'm no data scientist, but I do talk to a lot of lenders. And what it strikes me is that I don't know of any lender that has gone and tested an AI model and done it in a serious way and then said, you know what, it's not as good. It's not as good as what we were doing before. I think we'll just go back to what we're doing before. And that just doesn't happen. And it makes me realize that, as Sri was saying there, it's inevitable that we are going to have this movement. It's going to continue. You know, it doesn't mean that everybody in even five or 10 years time will be using AI models, but that's the direction we're heading. And I don't know whether it's five years, 10 years, 15 years, but soon there'll be no one using these old traditional models as AI will be taking over. That's my prediction anyway. On that note, uh, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening and I'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.